Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Hello to our listeners and welcome to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We've talked on previous episodes about educating filmmakers. Egon Stefan Jr., cinematographer, talked about how he learned his craft the old, old-fashioned way by basically being an apprentice to his father, who uh, who was a well-known cinematographer. Quentin Tarantino has famously said, you know, I didn't go to film school, I went to films. On the other side, Steven Spielberg was actually rejected by both UCLA and USA film schools because of his grades in high school, but uh, I think he's done okay for himself. Those success stories and quite a few others notwithstanding, a majority of filmmakers and those working in the film industry did attend some type of film school and or receive more of a formal education in regards to filmmaking. So who teaches them? Who are film school professors? Uh, like any other subject or discipline, uh, they were once practitioners of the craft. They've worked in the industry before or even worked concurrently uh, while also teaching uh, and they hold advanced degrees uh, like other professors. Uh, today we are joined by a film professor who did spend a number of years working in the industry before switching over to teaching. Uh, I know from personal experience, uh, he has a passion for both filmmaking and teaching. I am pleased to be joined today by Josh Ellis. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Josh, I knew... I know you grew up in Seattle, Washington, uh, kind of the upper left corner of the United States. Uh, Now you're in Miami, the opposite, the lower right corner of the United States. Can you take us all back to where it started? You know, growing up in Washington, what drew you to filmmaking? I think like probably a lot of filmmakers, uh, when I was in my, you know, teens, like early teens, 12, 13, um, I started to kind of realize that I really spent a lot of time watching movies. And so watching films was something that I could never really get enough of, both at home, you know, watching, you know, VHSs and that kind of thing, but also going to the movie theater with either by myself or with friends or with my parents or whatever, and starting to think, I want to try to do that, but I don't know what that meant, you know? And so I would borrow like my dad's, you know, camcorder and boss my buddies around in the backyard and do little sketchy video-y things. And it was a blast. And everyone kind of would like it for about an hour and then they'd get really tired of it and they'd be bored and I'd be like, we're not done yet. Um, and then I'd edit together with two VCRs. I didn't even know what I was doing there either. Like just kind of figuring it out. Like I want these two shots to go oppose each other. And so I kind of made those videos like in high school, uh, would show them to friends and they're like, those are really funny and never ask me to help you on those again. They're really boring to help you work on. <laughs> um, and so towards the end of high school, I was like, maybe I can do some version of this in college. I didn't really know what that meant. And so I was in Washington State, like you said, in Seattle. Um, And then I found that there was a video communications program at a school called Central Washington University. So... I was like, that has the word video in it. That's perfect. I want to go do that because I work with video all the time. And so I went to uh, Central and I quickly realized that that was a television like broadcast degree. And within like five days, it was like, oh, not this. 
this. This this I don't know why, even though this is still around cameras and we're still lighting things and shooting things, somehow this is not what I'm wanting to do. And so I kind of was able to still take enough like photography classes and stuff that that was kind of more artistic and that was kind of interesting to me, like photochemical stuff. And that was kind of cool, but it still wasn't exactly scratching my itch. And so about a year and a half into, because I was just kind of like slogging my way through this video communications degree that I was not really happy about. Um, I ran into a couple of professors in the anthropology department. One was teaching a screenwriting course and just, you know, talking like between classes and whatever. And they kind of looked at me and were like, Josh, you want to work in filmmaking, like you want to make movies. And I was kind of like, yeah, I guess, I, I guess so. And they're like, why don't you go make a movie? And I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what, how do you start, you know? And so they introduced me to someone that was in a graduate program and he wanted to make a short film. He wanted to direct it and he needed someone to be what they called a cinematographer or a director of photography. And I was kind of like, well, I kind of know cameras. Like I've been using cameras for a while and I've been taking these photography classes and uh, I'll go meet with them. And we hit it off immediately. Immediately, and we're like, oh, we're around the same page. And so we went and made a short film and it was the best time of my life. Like I was in heaven. And so ever since then, it was like, oh yeah, cinematography, being a director of photography, being around cameras, but in a storytelling capacity is exactly where I want to be. And so that that's really when I knew for sure that this is going to be the rest of my life. Interesting. You mentioned it was an anthropology professor teaching yeah. screenwriting. Well, it was, it was actually a couple. So um, he was an anthropology professor and she was a screenwriting teacher, but they were together and they like, they did some like screenwriting uh, stuff together too. It was kind of weird stuff, but um, between the two of them, um, they kind of helped guide me into that. So yeah. I guess you could say anthropology at its core is all about the human experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is really what making films about. Growing up, what are some of the films that really inspired you, that really had an impact on you? So I would say I, I have this really clear memory of seeing the Goonies in the movie theater. I was um, I was kind of raised in the, the opera, actually. Um, my parents, uh, my, my father was an opera singer. My mother was a stage manager. And so I spent a lot of time there. And um, I worked as a supernumerary, um, which is just like an extra in an opera. You don't sing, you just kind of on stage. And they didn't pay you, but they'd give you free stuff. And so one of the perks one time was to see an early screening of The Goonies. And so it was probably one of the first movies I'd ever seen in the movie theater. I was there with basically all kids because they were specifically trying to get young people to go see it. And they wanted to take pictures and blah, blah, blah. And so I remember waiting for the movie to start and this really great energy in it. We had no idea what we were getting into. We'd seen like some commercials for it maybe. And I remember looking around like behind me and like seeing the 400 people like so excited to be there and like the energy before it even started and was like, what a fun environment. Like this is so neat. And then to be in that room during that two hours to be a part of that, um, it really stuck with me. So that was really important. And the movie was like, I love the Goonies, but it's not like my favorite movie. It was more of just being with those people uh, in that experience. But then, uh, I mean, growing up, I would like the, the movies that I like wore out and I had to literally like rebuy on VHS would be like um, Ghostbusters. I probably watched hundreds of times. Um, I had a TV and a VCR in my bedroom, very young, probably maybe a little bit too young to, to according to some parents. Um, and I would just have it on looping all day. Um, and uh, Terminator 2 uh, was similar. I watched T2 way too many times. I could recite that right now. Um, Jaws. I watched a lot of Jaws. Um, so I, th that was kind of like my, I didn't know it, but that was kind of my film school 
at the beginning, um, even though I didn't realize really what I was kind of getting from that. Um, I mean, obviously, movies like Star Wars and stuff, too, played a huge part. And I think a lot of people my age, um, that's going to come up in the conversation. But for me, Ghostbusters and T2 were kind of my my grails early on. Yeah. yeah and you mentioned, you know, when you saw Goonies, that that collective experience is something, obviously, we could talk for hours about and how really we lost a lot of that during COVID. And sure, yeah. I hope that's reason alone to keep theaters around. Like, it's great, you know, seeing it on a big screen, great, but having that shared experience with 400 strangers, it's special. It, it is. And I think it's important, too, though, when everyone's on the same page, um, because I've been in some really amazing theater experiences, but I've also been in kind of ones that were a little lesser, where people, I guess, didn't know they were going to see that movie, or they're kind of grumpy already. Um, but I, I did, I mean, I worked and lived in LA for 10 years, and people kind of respect movies there a little bit differently um, than other places I've seen them in the country. And um, it's fun to see a movie like in Hollywood, opening weekend, like, it's like going to church. You know, it's like, to, to these people, it really does matter. They stay for the credits, you know, like we're, we're talking about filmmaking on the way lead up into it. And so I think the, the audience you're participating with, and I was, you know, I saw the Goonies with a bunch of people exactly like me, a bunch of eight-year-olds foaming at the mouth, right? Um, and then if you're in LA, you're watching with a bunch of filmmakers. So I think the group of people you watch a movie with plays a huge part in that as well. Yeah. And going back to things we've lost, movies today, when they come out, it just doesn't seem like this grand, you know, grand event. I mean, blame it on the internet or Wikipedia or social media. Like so much is known about the movie before it comes out that we've lost that. Yeah, that's that true. Antici- that anticipation and excitement. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's some filmmakers like, you know, the J.J. Abrams and the Marvel is kind of trying to like recapture, I think, probably like what their childhoods were into some degree because they knew nothing about these movies. They knew that there's a new Star Wars movie and they're going to go see it, like that kind of thing. And you're right. It is tough, especially with how much marketing there is, all the industry rags out there and Reddit and whatever. People trying to dig into stuff and some set photo with someone took from a 600 millimeter lens from a mile away of someone in a costume. And... I think, unfortunately, it's just that's the world we live in now. Um, But it is good that some people do take it more seriously of trying to insulate the audience from the storytelling experience. And it's like, you're going to want to have this reveal fresh. You know, like when you find out who Darth Vader is in relation to Luke, that is a mind-altering experience when you don't know it, especially if you're the right audience. And so I think protecting us from ourselves is a part of of kind of producing and directing to some extent at this point. Um, so I'm glad that some people are taking that very seriously. So you went to Central Washington State. You graduate with your film degree or you graduate with your degree. Kind of. Well, you know what? It was it was funny though. So when I found these other filmmakers, right, and I started making short films in, um, in college, at the same time, I was introduced that at Central Washington, you can actually make your own degree. And so it was like, well, what does that mean? Well, you can kind of pitch to the school what you want a degree in. And so I kind of cobbled together things of like, well, I'm going to take an English screenwriting class, a bunch of photography classes, and that anthropology class actually does have something to do about character and study and psychology and stuff. And I kind of made like this film studies degree myself because that's all they had. Um, And so that's what I ended up graduating with. So now looking forward ahead... It almost sounds like you were kind of being your own, maybe not a professor, but you were almost being your own dean, creating like your own program. Kind of. I mean, obviously at the time, you're not thinking about that stuff at all, but it is funny now they still have that degree. <laughs> it's the, like they kind of just did a copy of the one that I had kind of invented. And, but it's, so it's cool that that just kind of lingered and there's other people that have done the same path. So then where'd you go after you graduated? So um, 
now that I'm in college and I'm like year two, three, and I'm starting to learn about like that I really want to make films and what that really means. It's not just the word video, which obviously there's video cameras, but it was, I want to make movies. I want to work in films. And so then the conversation again with these people that become my mentors in college, my professors were like, well, there's film schools, Josh. It's <laughs> like, what? Because again, I mean, this is so long ago that like there was the internet, but it was like nothing. And so like, I didn't know what to look for. And like, if there's not a book on the shelf, do I know about it? Not necessarily. So I wasn't necessarily getting this information. So my junior year of college, it's like there's film schools. There's obviously major ones. There's the USC's, there's AFI's, there's there's huge film schools that have been around for decades. And I was like, that's where I need to go. I, I need to be there. And since I was so close to just kind of finishing college at that point, I was like, well, I'm going to apply to graduate school. Um, that was really my only thinking. And so I applied to my top three, um, which were at the time USC, AFI, and Florida State, um, because I was reading a lot of articles of how great their up-and-coming program was. And so it's like checking all the boxes of things I was looking for. And so I kind of got into like the first two or three phases of applications for all three of those. But I had to go in person to Florida State to do an interview. So I kind of got a tour of the college too, which I didn't with the other two. They're just over the phone. And when I was in the space watching other film students that were in the program, I was like, I need to do whatever I can to, to get here. And so I think it kind of energized me with like my two days of interviews I had to do there because I really just let it all hang out. And I was like, this is the perfect place for me to be and I will do whatever it takes to help you guys uh, with your college. And so I got into Florida State. So you spent two years at Florida State? Yeah. So their program, again, it's one of the things that really drew me to it was it's 24 months of very intense filmmaking. Um, There's essentially no time off and they, they they warn you about it but you can't understand what that means um, like so we started in August and they were telling us you won't have a day off until Thanksgiving and you're just like yeah yeah whatever but you you don't I mean you're really working seven days a week and then finally you get to Thursday of Thanksgiving and you're like wow that was <laughs> pretty intense um, so basically just even in that first like three or four months I probably got like two years worth of education like they're just shoving it into you but I was so hungry for it and my class of, there's 24 of us in the class, we're all similar. It was just like, feed me, don't stop, you know? And so like, they just opened up the fire hydrant and the stuff's coming in. And I was at the perfect time to, to receive that information and work with all these people. It was an amazing program, but it's a, it's a three years of college school in two years. Wow. So yeah, so it ends up being like 90 graduate credits. Pretty intense. It's <laughs> pretty intense. Come from Seattle to Florida. Yes. Get your MFA. Yes. So I got my MFA and then I graduated in 2003. And so- uh, we were kind of being told kind of the whole time of like, and you're going to want to end up in LA. Because obviously in, in Tallahassee, is not really much of a filmmaking community. Um, I mean, there's some, but not nearly like there would be in a major city and certainly not in Los Angeles. And since we were learning kind of the Hollywood system of making movies, that was the next logical step. So I graduate August, what, 10th. By the 17th, I'm living in LA because it's just like, let's go. And Again, there's about 24 of us in our graduating class. And I think within a year, 16, maybe more of us were living in LA. So it's kind of like we all went out as a cohort basically together anyways. And so, yeah. So by, you know, a week later, I'm living in LA. What would, do you remember what your first gig or your first paying job was? Absolutely. I 100% do. Um, so I get out there and like most people, I'm like, I'm here. What do I do now? And crickets, you know, like just almost nothing. Um, I... The good thing was 
um, I was in touch with some people that had kind of previously graduated from FSU that had moved out to LA. So now they call it like the FSU mafia kind of thing. Um, and obviously Facebook and some other social media kind of helps with that nowadays. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of in its infancy back then. So it's more like emails and phone calls and that kind of thing. So I get out there and my first night, I reached out to a few people that I knew and were like, oh, we're going to meet at a bar the other, like in Burbank. So we come out and meet some people. Great. I know no one. I'm going to go out there. I immediately find someone that's a camera assistant. That's, I was really interested in cameras. And so we just, you know, talking, talking. She's like, well, I'm going to be at Panavision tomorrow. We're doing a test. If you want to just swing by and like help, that might be kind of neat. And I was like, you got it. Panavision, like I know those from the credits. Like that sounds cool. Um, And so I went down to help out with some tests. And so it was like the DP was there and the first AC is there, the operator's there. They're just kind of doing some stuff. But within like an hour or two, they're like, oh, you're not just like a PA that knows nothing. Like you legitimately know some of this stuff. Now, a lot of that was because of FSU's training, but also a lot of it was because like that's all I cared about. Like I was extremely passionate about it. And so uh, from that test, it was like, what are you doing for six weeks? <laughs> uh, because we're about to shoot this other thing and it starts in a week. And if you want to come out, you can be a second slash loader for six weeks. And it paid $100 a day, uh, which I was very happy to have. And that's nothing, but I was excited to have that money. And uh, that was my first paying gig. I got it pretty much immediately. I mean, $100 a day back in 2003. Yeah. Poor area. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, but and yes. Like, you know, like in living in LA, it was funny because like, so, you know, I, I drive from FSU in my like clunker of a car, get out there barely. And this, of course, is like the very typical, like starting work in filmmaking. I did my first week and they paid us at the end of the week. They gave us a check. So I got my $600. I was so excited. On my way home, my brakes go out. So on the next, my one day off on Sunday, I have to find the one place in town that is open. I spend my only day off paying them my entire check to pay the for the brakes. I can't even pay for gas. I have to like borrow to drive home. So it was like, I made nothing this week, but I still kind of had fun. Like I was completely in that zone still. I was like in my honeymoon phase. And so I was just like the excited kid to be there. Um, But yeah, it was a wild first six weeks of working for sure. Yeah. And then uh, you spent time working in the industry. How long were you in the industry out there before, you know, what getting drawn to teaching? Yeah. So I, I worked for about, let's see, until about 2010, pretty steadily. Um, So it's about seven years, seven, eight years, and primarily in camera. So I was doing almost any everything camera, um, working my way up from like loader second, first. And I was kind of in an interesting time to be in LA because the first kind of digital cameras were just emerging. They were like good enough to shoot a movie with because they had just made like the Clone Wars, like Star Wars, and then everyone wanted the F950 or the 900. And so I was coming into camera when it was like, you have to know film. And you have to know digital. It's like, you have to kind of know both. And so like my head's exploding, but it was great. Um, so I kind of know both now. So in 2009, 2007, I got married. Um, it was like, great. It was fantastic. And so a couple years later, of course, we're going to start having kids. It's kind of, we wanted to anyways. But when I started getting into, I'm going to be a parent mode, I started hearing conversations for the first time that were probably already happening, but I wasn't really paying attention to, which is like crew members like bragging about how long it's been since they've like had dinner with their family <laughs> or like, I haven't seen my kid in four weeks. And it's like, what? Cause you're like, oh yeah, we've been like on night shoots for a while. <laughs> like, and obviously like my wife understood cause she also worked in the industry, especially at the time. And so like she got it and she knew what she was getting into. And, like, and so like we understood that, like that's the lifestyle that it was, but 
kids are different. Like kids are just, I don't want to miss that. Right. And so I had these visions of like, am I going to miss my kids growing up? Like that's going to kind of destroy me. And so that wasn't really an option. And so it was so hard because I was like, I can't give up filmmaking. Like I just, I love it. I love being around set. I love being around storytellers. And what am I going to do? And so uh, I was on a television show um, and just kind of, you know, talking during lunch with some other crew members. And they were like, well, you have a master's degree. And I was like, yeah. Like, I, I didn't know what they were talking about. They're like, well, you can teach. What are you talking about? And it's like, I mean, this, again, I had graduated school seven, eight years ago. And I was like, well, you have a master's degree, which means you can teach college filmmaking. And I was like, what are you, so I go home, like, I'm looking it up, like, what are they even talking about? So I had no idea. I had never put these things together. And so it was like, oh, what does that mean? Like, would I want to do that? And then I'm thinking back to FSU. And part of what they do at FSU is you kind of teach the the undergrad students behind you a little bit. So like, you know, I taught them, like when I was in my second year, I'm teaching first years, like how to hook up the generator and how to build the the BL4 film camera. Like I'm like, I taught those things. And I was like, that was really fun. And I kind of not thought about that in a long time. And I was like, what would that mean though? And so it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to try to like teach a class just to see what that would be like. And so I ended up applying for, and I got a job at the Los Angeles Film School um, which is in Hollywood. And I kind of fell in love all over again because it's like, wait a minute. I get to teach people how to make movies and be around like them having these epiphanies of like why they want to do this too. And I get to also make movies basically with them. Like I'm in the trenches with them. Like this is the best of both worlds, but I also don't do all night shoots. I don't have to be gone for six weeks at a time. Like I can go home and see my kids. Like this is amazing. I could do all this and be home for dinner. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And so it was just, I was in heaven. That's kind of where I've remained ever since then. I mean, just absolute in heaven. Such an interesting journey. And, uh, you know, you went from top left, bottom right, bottom left. So I guess like you'll retire to me. I mean, at some point, right? I Eventually one, one day. New England's on the list at some point, right? We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to get more into what exactly is teaching film like. But before that, we would like to give a very special thank you to the Miami Day College School of Entertainment, Design and Technology, who are graciously hosting today for this recording. We'll be right back. And we are back. Today, I am joined by film professor Josh Ellis. Let's talk about film school. You know, there's still an ongoing debate in, in the larger filmmaking world about whether or not going to film school is necessary if you want to work in the industry or be a filmmaker. That conversation itself is a is a subset of the larger debate. Conversations about the cost and returns of higher education in general. How would you make the case in favor of the argument that, yes, film school is definitely worth it. It's not all true that it has to be super expensive. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'm still paying off my student loan. I was, I'll be really honest with you. And I went to an extremely affordable college. Uh, Florida State is known for being among of elite film schools, very affordable. It's a state school. It's not private. And I was able to get in-state tuition and I'm still paying it off. It's just very expensive. And so one of the reasons that I'm so happy where I am currently is that I teach at Miami-Dade College and it's incredibly affordable. And the fact that I know that I'm not part of the system that's burdening 
paying people with incredible debt upon graduation makes me very happy. It's a really high number of like 93% of students graduate with no debt. I mean, it's something that you can't believe it's so high. Where, you know, like the major film schools like a USC or an AFI, it's very common to graduate with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, um, which I can't even imagine trying to begin filmmaking career like that because you're trying to raise money, but then you just owe so much. That, so that that's going to be part of the equation and it needs to be part of the thinking. Um, no one really told me about that stuff. And so uh, I'm happy when I can have conversations very openly about that with students um, that are either thinking about going to film school or are already in film school or whatever it is. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, but in terms of like, do you need to go to film school, right? So I needed it. And so I just know that for me personally, I knew that I wanted to be on professional film sets and the way that I wanted to prepare myself was to have that safety net of being in a college class around other people that were kind of like me, like at similar levels as me. And so part of it was I knew very clearly and part of it was it just felt comfortable. And so those together made it a clear choice for me. And so after getting out into LA and then having these conversations very openly uh, with other filmmakers, mainly on set, that's where you mainly have these conversations, like during lunch, you know, and it's about 50-50. Uh, it's about 50-50 of I went to film school and I didn't. People are fairly adamant on both sides. Uh, it's kind of interesting. So the people that didn't are very proud of themselves that I didn't have to go to school. Um, but it also depends because not everyone is kind of that I can do anything right now mentalities. And because to get into this industry is very difficult. It is. It's very hard. Um, and especially your first few gigs are going to be hard. And if you don't know anyone, it's even harder. So how do you get to know people? Well, one way is you can go to film school because uh, you're going to immediately know hundreds of people. Uh, and especially at a school like I went to, we become basically a family. Um, I feel very uh, close to a lot of the people that I met in film school um, to this day. And so those bonds are going to immediately lead to opportunities. Whereas cold calling people out of the blue when you're 18, it's going to be a lot harder. And so, again, some people could absolutely will themselves into those opportunities and others can't as much. And so I think that's part of it. Obviously, then too, like, again, I'm having these conversations with, you know, Teamsters and Grips and stuff like during lunch. Again, I didn't realize I was like crowdsourcing this info that would help me later in film school or to teach in film school. Then you find out, well, they got a job because they're brother's a grip, you know, or, or, well, my dad owns a rental house. And it's like, well, that kind of helps, right, guys? And so, I, obviously, that person maybe doesn't need the education as much because they're already in it. Like, they've been living in it since they were six. And so, that's a different argument. And so, I think a lot of is is very family-oriented as well. It's very common to find people that are second, third, fourth generation filmmakers. Um, and their film school was their childhood, probably, you know? And so, they don't need the network because they've been building that network since they were young. Um, but I think a huge, huge part of the film school experience is building that relationship um, with your class and the people that you're in school during that time with. Um, it's it's hard to synthesize that. Right. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And that, you know, we're storytellers. Everybody loves to kind of the rags to riches or the success story about the guy who, you know, 17 years old and just, you know, wandered onto a movie shooting in his town and sure. became a PA and became a success. But I think we like them because they're rare. They are. They're very rare. They're extremely rare. We've talked about how important networking is and everything. I think something else, you know, at least I know from my film school experience, is you get the chance to make mistakes oh, yeah, without, without really having too many repercussions. So how, how important is that to understand you're definitely going to fail, so it's better to fail in a safe environment than in the real world? Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I encourage people to fail. Like, this is the time. Like, get it out of your system. Um, because, yeah, it's, it, it can be not dangerous, but um, I mean, it's dangerous to your career to have a catastrophic failure on a professional set. Um, I mean, it's usually just going to be, we don't call you back. Very rarely do you get like blacklisted, like that kind of thing. But those can happen too. But yeah, when you're in film school, absolutely. Like, let's fail big. You know, like, let's try it things that it make you very uncomfortable. But also when you get that courage, then you start to just try things that you maybe wouldn't try otherwise. And you stumble into things that are happy accidents that are really great. Um, and it could be just you writing something or it could be a casting decision or it could be a technical thing that you do. Um, so I think that safety net of being in a class environment can be really helpful, which honestly, I mean, we kind of get in our way as well because in a class, some students are still worried about the grade, you know? And it's like, that's why I, in my class, I try to be really clear, like, don't worry. Like, as long as you're here and you're putting in the full effort, you're going to be okay. Like, you're passing the class is going to be okay. Because I set it up in a way that as long as you are clearly pouring your heart and soul into it, then you're going to be successful in this class, right? It's not about memorizing a bunch of things or whatever it is. And so um, I think that sometimes as long as the student can care more about the result of what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to better themselves as a filmmaker and care less about, but am I going to get 90% and pass this with an A? Um, then I think those classes become the best experiences for all of us. Yeah. And, and I also found, yes, you know, the grade was always important, but that finding that balance of you're working with other students and, you know, say the writer or director, person whose film it is, they want to make the best film possible. But there's other people that are like, uh, I'm in school. I, I want to maximize my learning right. experience right. on this. And sometimes those two things can conflict. They can, they can, but, but again, everyone's here for a different reason, you know? So like, um, we have so many students here and so some are here because they graduated high school and didn't know what to do next. And they kind of stumbled into it and they're like, I walk, I like watching movies on Netflix. Let's take a movie class. Um, other people have been, uh, making movies their entire life and they knew this was the next logical step. Um, other people took it cause their friend took it, you know, like there's so many people that kind of just like stumble into it, but it is interesting how it just kind of like condenses itself as it, they get into the higher level classes because by the time you get to the end of a curriculum, the people that are there want to be there, right? And so they're very focused. Um, and the people that they're working with um, are likewise. And that's the community that you want to be a part of anyways. And so, but I, I like being at the beginning too, even with the people that maybe don't want to be around it as much, something draw them to that class. So maybe they don't want to have a career in it eventually, but the, there's something that is, they're getting out of it. And so even if I'm just helping them in some small way, it still makes me feel pretty good. That brings up a good point when you said uh, some people not may not necessarily want a career out of it. And I know there's many factors, location, your resume, things like that. But what could someone going to film school realistically expect to get out of it? Or, you know, they've graduated film school. How do you manage expectations of what comes next? So it's a good question. You can't expect much because if you are thinking about like, and my next step is this, then you're probably going to get discouraged because nine times out of 10, what you're thinking and hoping for isn't going to be the next step. Now, it could be, right? Sometimes you're in the right place, right time, and exactly what you're wanted, it happens. Uh, that can that can absolutely happen. And by being active in the community, um, by just being part of the filmmaking uh, group cohort in your area, um, things will happen. You're just going to have opportunities because you're, the, you're there in the room. And so that's a part of it, not just waiting for the phone call at home. Taking that 
free job to help your friends, uh, going to that film festival to volunteer, like you're just going to bump into people. So that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. I think for expectations, I think that knowing that it's going to be a, a long path, um, and it's kind of, it's the long game. And I think sometimes it can help to hear other people, uh, talk about their paths. Um, and like, let's say you listen to a hundred directors tell their stories. None of them are the same, right? They're all completely same. And some of them directed their first feature at 23 and some was at 47. And what was the difference, right? And it's going to be just out of this world difference, but to just, it just shows you right there that we all had completely different paths on how we got there and you can't control all of those circumstances. So the things that you can't control is how hard you work and your attitude when you are given an opportunity and the way that you work with people and meeting new people. And so like control what you can, I think is the main thing. Um, and you can't get too discouraged if you're not just getting lucky like your buddy did, who is now an editor on some TV show. But do you even want to be an editor? Like, that's not what you wanted to do. And he did some free thing that led him to this other free thing that led him to a paid job. Like, there's there's just so many dominoes that can go over. But I think that it is for a lot of people going to film school can jumpstart that in a lot of ways just because you're immediately meeting so many other people, um, both in classes, but also your professors, you're meeting people that come in and speak. Most people that come and speak at a college, they're more than willing to have another conversation with you like off to the side and you can really pick their brain. And a lot of those become mentors to our students. And so every single opportunity you can make out of either by going to school or not, take advantage of it. And then it'll happen when it happens. That's just kind of the way it works. Are different film schools, and I guess this could even go to like, you know, difference between bachelors and MFA programs. Are they different schools geared towards different I guess, areas of the industry, like, you know, these schools are known if you want to direct, these schools are better if you want to be cinematographer, if you want to go into the business side, go here. Yeah. And the nice thing is, I mean, they're, they're pretty open about that usually. And, or you can just kind of do your due diligence and kind of do your own research. Um, I mean, Google is an amazing tool nowadays. Um, and also, you know, like, you know, Variety and Deadline will put out lists and stuff of like, they, they'll rank them, but they also will be very clear about like, listen, in the last 10 years, like these are the people that are kind of being successful out of this and you can see like and most of those are cinematographers or most of those are people who are in sound or whatever it is like you can start to see the patterns emerging from it and so the savvy film student is going to be able to see that and not just go to that place because it's either number one or it's local it's because those are the skills I want to get better at but I do think a lot of film students are like me and they don't know like it's just it's too soon like I didn't know for a long time like I didn't know till my third year of college that I wanted to commit my life to camera and lighting. Like that, it, sometimes it takes people longer to get to that point where other people at 13 are like, well, I'm going to be a screenwriter. We're like, I just know. And so then they can lock into that. And it's like, well, great. Let's start looking at the, the schools that have dedicated screenwriting programs and or maybe even uh, faculty that have like a long list of credits. And it's like of screenwriting specifically. It's like, well, you probably want to be over there. And so I, I think that really does does help to have a focus as early as possible. And aside from giving you the ability to teach in college where you are now, MFA programs, is it bachelor programs on steroids? Is it dialing the intensity up to 11? Or are there things that you will only learn at an MFA program that you probably won't learn in a bachelor's program? It's a good question. I mean, I think every program is probably different. Um, so, I mean, I can mainly talk about the program where I was in because I lived it. Um, I will say this, though, that the thing that 
almost every MFA program does have in common, and that's that it's only that subject. So if you get a bachelor's degree, um, you still have to do a bunch of general education classes, right? Which again, I get it. Like that's part of going to college. That's part of getting a degree. Like that's going to be part of it. And for some people, they can still make the most out of it. Like let's say you're getting a bachelor's in filmmaking and you want to be a director. Well, it's like, well, then take some psychology classes, you know, go take some acting classes, like take some other things that you're still going to get college credit for, but are going to make you a better director. Like you can really milk it, you know, but otherwise you're still going to have to take, you know, a certain level of classes that are mandated by the state or the federal government. In graduate school, that's it. You're only taking film classes. And so again, like that's why when I went to my film school program, I could not get enough. I mean, every class was exactly what I wanted to hear. And so there wasn't any classes that I'm like sleeping through or being like, when's this going to be over? Because it's like, oh, please, God, just keep going. And so I think that's the big difference. Um, plus, traditionally, students are a little bit older. And so by, you know, by the time you transition from like 17, 18 to like 22, 23, People are starting to get more serious about like, I'm going to have to like pay bills and I have a rent and I have maybe kids and life is becoming more real at that point. And so, yeah, you become more focused in that like, I need to do this now. This isn't something that's going to be in my future adulthood. And so um, that's another big, I think, adjustment. But, uh, you know, some bachelor programs like here at Miami-Dade, I mean, we have a wide variety of ages in our students, which I think helps. I think that helps a lot. Um, I think it helps the older students to be around the younger students and vice versa. Um, so I kind of like the mix that I just kind of happen to be here for our program, but not every school is like that, right? So some universities will be 90% students that are under 20. You know, like it's just kind of the different schools have different kind of energies to them. But I think there is a big difference in a lot of ways between bachelor's and master's degrees for sure. Are the MFAs, I guess, like you said, within the film making itself more narrow but deeper, whereas bachelors just tend to be you know, broad because they want to introduce you to everything? Um, to some degree, I think so. I think it's more common for bachelor's degrees in filmmaking to kind of be more broad, like you said. So it's kind of like we're going to give you a taste of all of the different areas, which I think is important anyways, because I think, like again, let's say a director, right? So if a director is just learning about um, working with actors and maybe like screenplays, that's not going to give them a full breadth of what their job really entails, which is they should also be kind of forced to edit something and they should be forced to work with a camera and like to understand those other jobs from a better perspective. And not everyone has that. And you're going to see that in the world is like, there's going to be some people that do not understand that person's job. No idea. And is it the worst thing in the world? Not necessarily, but I think it can make you better at your job if you know to some degree about everyone else. If you know what the production field mixer is really going through to get good dialogue recording on set, I think it's going to make you a better director. I personally believe that. And so I like that the majority of bachelor programs really do have a kind of a general focus. And then the master's degrees typically let you kind of drill down to, to do your own focus more. But I think also you can kind of make the best out of a program. So like, let's say you do go to a bachelor's program. Program, I think you can still say, well, my main focus here is to become a screenwriter. Well, great. Write for every person around you, right? So not just your classes, meet other producers and directors and be like, do you need a rewrite on that? Can I help you with that? I have five scripts. If you want to make my movie, like you can still get more out of that opportunity. So don't wait for like a class to give you an assignment, like be proactive and kind of milk it for all it's worth. So you should graduate school with a bunch of projects under your belt, not just like the two or three class assignments that you were kind of mandated to do. So did FSU and do other graduate programs um, have different tracks, for example, like a cinematography trap, a writing trap? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So um, 
Nowadays, they do. Now they do have a screenwriting and I believe in a producing track. I think that's correct, which is pretty common for some of the top uh, master's programs that they have some tracks like that. But also they allowed us to specialize fairly early. So like for when I went to my graduate program for the first year, we were we did everything. And so but the second year, it was like our thesis project. That's when they kind of look to you now and say, what do you want to do? And for most of us, we knew. And so for me, it was like, well, I want to be the cinematographer of a thesis project. And so it was like, well, do you want to pitch one as a director? And it was like, no, I have no interest. I will help my director prep their pitch. But and uh, otherwise, I want to shoot it. And so that was kind of their approach was early, have everyone taste everything. And then they look to you and say, so what do you want to do? Um, and for the, the vast majority of us, that was good because it helped us um, because we already knew exactly where we're headed. So All these different experiences you've talked about, both uh, working, bachelor's, master's program, your first in the teaching, you know, what you said, you kind of designed your own degree. And like you said, looking back, connecting the dots led you to where you are today. And uh, we're going to talk about that after the break. We're going to get into Josh Ellis, the the film professor. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who has been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back with Professor Josh Ellis. We talked about film school. We talked about it really from the broad sense. Uh, let's talk about you. Uh, filmmaking, film education is broad. So many aspects of it. So many departments. So much to learn. How do you even begin to break that down to teach it? Well, I mean, luckily, uh, when you come into a lot of classes, there's already kind of like a straight state curriculum. It's like, these are the things that's expected to be taught in these certain courses. Or it's already on the books. And it's like, here's your learning outcomes. And so it's like, a lot of thinking is already gone into those. So it's like some of that heavy lifting luckily can kind of be taken off of you. However, sometimes things become obsolete or there's new work practices. So we do constantly reevaluate that too. But when you're early on in teaching, that's very overwhelming. It's to be like, where do I even start, right? One of the reasons that I even got my first job at LA Film School was because I kind of proved that I made a curriculum basically in undergrad, like I kind of designed it. And then because they were like, great, because we're making a new program too. Can Can you write that for us? It's like, I guess. And then that's part of the reason that Miami Dade also wanted to have a conversation with me because it's like, well, the bachelor's program is really new. Would you want to come be like kind of the pioneer of teaching that for us? Because we don't know some of that stuff. So I guess naturally, I kind of like that challenge of where do you start? Like, what's the most important part? And what are the things that you spend more time on? But in terms of like, what is the most important? I don't, I mean, I don't, that's, there is nothing real. I mean, the, the most important part is everything. And so at the end of the day, the whole process is what's important. But luckily, you know, classes have titles. And so it becomes like, well, clearly uh, in this course called Screenwriting 2, we were going to talk about screenwriting, but in the classes, I teach a lot of production classes. And so that does become more about the processes of it. Um, so we usually will concentrate on a certain aspect of the the teamwork of making a movie. Um, you had mentioned like the different departments and stuff like that. And so early on in like a film production one class, it's going to be like very bare bone basics, like how a camera works and how you will go out and shoot images of an actor. Like that's kind of about it, like into a very simple story. Uh, but then we just kind of keep adding things to that, right? So like now there are going to be several departments 
departments involved in that. And there is not only a director, there's an assistant director and what part that plays in it. Okay. So then we kind of add on top of that. How do you talk with actors in a way that they're going to understand you and you can get to where you wanted to go? Like, so we kind of keep stacking things on top of it. But for me, it always comes down to how can you do your job in an efficient way with a group collaboratively? Because at the end of the day, this is a collaborative art form. You don't make a film by yourself. Um, you're going to be part of a team. So even if it's just you and an actor, that's still a team. And so learning to work with others is probably going to be kind of always there in everything that I do here, because that's such a critical component to it. In addition to your classroom teaching, you've done some really interesting things outside of the classroom to help your students, uh, particularly you run a production assistant training camp. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, several years ago, we have an advisory board, which is um, local uh, film professionals, uh, film commissioner, that kind of thing. And uh, I don't usually go to those. That's usually for like administrators and whatever, but they, you know, they occasionally invite us in. And so I happened to be in one and all of our advisory board kind of simultaneously started saying, I wish there was a training for people to just be better PAs. And they're all kind of like echoing like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then for some reason, they all looked at me. <laughs> I was like, what are you going to do about that, Josh? Because I teach the production classes, you know? And so I was like, well, uh, let me think about it. And so I, I kind of got back to them with just like this spitballed idea of what if we did like a one or two day training camp of accelerated, very practical advice of how to survive like day one on a major film or a television show or like a big production, the, the people that would hire lots of PAs. And so they loved it. And so I kind of worked with them uh, on and off for about a year, kind of devising like, here are the things that I would want to train them in. They had advice too. I was like working with like local line producers and unit production managers, the people that would hire PAs um, and film commission office and stuff too, because they'd be the ones kind of like disseminating that information to the local productions. And we kind of agreed upon a list of these are the things we want to train them in. And then we, we launched that, I believe in 2019. And and it's been extremely successful. The nice thing is the people that come into it are very focused because they know they're willing to do anything they can to be on a big show, a real show, and they want to know how to be successful day one. And so it's like, that's kind of what we designed it for. And so it's nice that they're not there because it's the next class in the sequence of classes. It's like they chose to be there. They're going to give extra time to be this extra training. And so I think already they're like a step ahead. But then when they finish that training, Training. It's, it's two eight-hour days. The list of everyone that completed it goes to, now it's three different film commission offices. Um, and so when any production is approaching a film commission office, you know, because you have to work with them for permitting, um, but they also say things like, we're looking for crew, maybe they're out of town and they need certain things. Now, uh, a big thing is with local filming incentives, they must hire a certain amount of either local um, graduates or current film students. And this list provides them with a list of opportunities. And so it's been basically almost guaranteed work for those students as well, um, professional paid work. And so it's kind of benefiting all of us. And so um, this is now we're going to be teaching her for our fifth time um, this coming week. And we're looking at maybe even growing it, teaching it more often, maybe teaching it more places, but it's been wildly successful. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of times how important teamwork and collaboration is in filmmaking and really the buy-in from the film commissions and really partnering with them. It goes back to making that network, you know, getting the out of film school and you know those are the little things that that add up absolutely yeah i mean it just again you always need someone's help and someone to advocate for you someone to refer you 
Um, and so whether you know it or not, when you meet someone, you're building that. And so at some point, that becomes kind of an active thing that you're doing. But a lot of times it's just passive anyways, because it's just the things you're interested in, uh, regardless, you're building and growing that network. Um, and it starts in something like a film school, but maybe it's also being in this camp and they're meeting other people too. Maybe they touch base with a guest speaker we bring in or whatever. Maybe now they know someone to the film commission office. Like it really does grow. And even in a large city, I mean, Miami is a large city, but the filmmaking community is rather small in it. And after working long enough, you kind of know everybody. And so it doesn't take that long to be like, oh yeah, her, yeah, she's great. Oh, him, yeah, he's a great uh, location manager. I work with him all the time. Like that just, it will happen. It even happens in Los Angeles, to be honest. Even though that it's so many filmmakers out there, given enough time, you work with almost everybody. Like it's crazy. But Miami, especially because we are a little bit smaller of a filmmaking community in that regard. Right. And you mentioned speakers. You do a pretty uh, significant speaker series too. That's right. Yeah. So um, I started the SEDT guest lecture series, guest speaker series um, a few years ago as well. Kind of started a few things a few years ago. And so the nice thing is with Zoom or, you know, other uh, um, online ways of people talking has become such a, um, a better delivery method than it was five, 10 years ago. Um, we can have people talk to us from New York and LA um, that are professional and we can kind of fit their openings into a class schedule that they can come and talk to people and in an interactive way, not just kind of like, I'm going to tell you some stuff and then go away. They can do Q&A and they can really kind of dig in and answer a lot of personal questions by from students about either their films or their specific career things that they have questions about. And so I think that we do still have in-person speakers as well, especially like we'll do it through like maybe the film festival, like the Miami Film Festival or other things like that. Um, but the fact that we can do pretty much anyone online um, really has opened the doors. And so we've had a lot of professionals come and talk to students as well. And now getting back to the teaching part, you started both working and teaching with actual film camera. And then, you know, then there was a move to digital uh, lately. What What's next? Next, are, are schools going to start including more teaching green screen, how to work with CGI? motion capture in, into their curriculums? Are schools already doing that? Yeah, some schools are doing that. Um, it's very expensive. Um, you need the space, you need the technology, you need people trained in the technology. Um, the problem with technology is you're always chasing it because by the time you like install like a LED volume, it's like, oh, that old one? We're two generations past that now. You know, so um, I, I think that technology is, is always going to be tied to our industry just because you have to record them uh, audio and visual images to then represent them in the story. And so whatever technology you use to capture them is always going to be evolving. Um, but in terms of the tools that we use every year, there's something new. Um, you know, like five years ago, it's like, well, you got to teach drones. Everyone's got drones. You got to do drones. And then now it's like, well, you got to do, you know, LED volume walls. You got to do. And it's like, I, yeah, you do. I mean, but also, but what what's going to be next year? You know, so like, I mean, honestly, I think probably in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be like, incorporating more AI stuff, probably, um, into most aspects of filmmaking. But how can we use it as a tool, not to necessarily replace us? It's more of just like, what can we use to help us like um, change a, a word of dialogue or help me with a part of this um, this technical aspects of the edit that I'm not quite sure why this isn't quite working. What if we did this to it? And so I think using those kind of tools in the future, which I, I, can, I can't even imagine it yet because AI is such a, uh, a bleeding edge tech, but I think that's probably going to be a part of it. Um, but the physical aspects of it, like you said, it's like we went from film, now it's to digital, now it's to maybe completely digital because you're like you're creating things and like these motion capture abilities, like, a, like an avatar kind of thing. I mean, think about it, like avatar one, 
came out, what, 11 years ago? Is that, that sounds about right? And so 12 years ago, that was a while ago, that was all motion capture mm -hmm. stuff. That didn't make every movie go motion capture. Okay. You know, it's like that. that is a tech that got better because of that movie. And they used a similar version, but better on the next movie. So it helped those kinds of movies, but it didn't help all movies necessarily. Um, and so it's hard to like chase the tech just because of like one or two success stories. I think it's more important to kind of focus on the things that are changing less quickly and or the things that are never going to change, which again is working with a team, uh, developing a good story, and then figuring out an efficient way to to make that um, both budgetarily and location wise, but also not compromising too much. And that's like the true art of filmmaking, right? So do you think film students today almost miss out a little bit by not having a chance to work with film, even even at an introductory level? I mean, yes. I mean, but I'm also I, I consider myself extremely lucky because I was born in a specific time period where I'm very fluent in analog, right? So like, I remember how typewriters worked and I remember when there was three channels on TV and like, I remember those things extremely well, but I was also young enough that when all the digital breakthroughs were happening, I was completely open to it. And it was part of just like, that was the next thing and it was fine. And then I'd see, you know, older generations kind of struggling with some of that stuff. And so I think I was in that little five to 10 year window where like, I kind of influent in both. I feel very comfortable working in both. Um, and so I think part of it is like, you know, the old man and me being like, you know, you kids don't even know what it's like I had to shoot on film, that kind of thing. But I do think it builds a lot of great habits. I think that um, learning to respect that when you press record, or roll on the film camera that the next 11 minutes of film running through that is costing us money. And so this is important right now. And so with a digital camera, especially if you have a card that can shoot for three hours, you kind of lose an element of that. And it's like, what are we creating for the editor right now? Like you're just like going to give them like just insanity and you're like, here you go. Here's three hours. Now cut it into two minutes. And it's like, wow. And it's like, I'm not saying they can't do that because they're evolving too, but there is an element that has kind of gotten us a little sloppy, I think. I think you can definitely create that by having good work ethics and just being uh, part of a good team. So I don't think it's lost. I think that it's just easier to develop sloppy habits by not having the respect of shooting something that is literally spending money when you press a button. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, there's correlations you could talk about with these cameras that shoot incredibly high resolution images and they're shooting terrible bytes a minute, which is also going to cost you money because you have to transcode it and you have to transfer it and you have to back it up and that's going to cost more money for more drives. And so it's just a different way of doing it. I think when you when you look at all of these films that have been made over the past hundred years, the majority are on film. And I think the fact that now we've kind of moved on to this other technology, I, I wish and I hope that everyone has at least an opportunity at some point to work on film just to at least know what that's like. Because I think it's so critical to like how we got to where we are. But Obviously, you can make just a Im perfect, incredible film having nothing to do with actual celluloid. Um, but yeah, part of me misses it and wishes everyone could use it for sure. And on the topic of technology, we talked with previous guests about you know content in general, and there's a difference between making you know even a five minute narrative short film and a 30 second TikTok video and or 30 second you know little YouTube clip or something. I know from my experience, I find it harder to make a 30 second than it is is to make a five minute. But do you see curriculum kind of integrating that more, how to make those more like short kind of Instagram, TikTok, you know, videos more than, than like narrative? It's a good question. I, I hope so. Because 
It can't just be the constant like, this is how I think it is and you're going to do my way. Because I think then very quickly going to date yourself and both as like as a professor or a programmer or whatever. And it's not about necessarily making films or projects that I want to make. It's about what do you want to make? It's the people that are in the class paying for the class. What do they want to get better at? And so I'm constantly learning new things in that way. And sometimes it's hard, but I think that that's going to be, since it's constantly going to be an evolution of not only how we create content, like you said, you know, film to digital to X, um, but it's also what kind of media do people are interested in nowadays? Because it might be hard for me to connect with this 12 second TikTok-y kind of thing, but clearly many millions of people are really drawn to it. And there is still, in a lot of those, a lot of filmmaking techniques that are still being applied. And it's like, well, how can we make that even better? And so um, I think it, there is a big difference between like just a viral video of like recording some random event, but also coming up with a concept, putting it into practice, and then presenting it in the ideal way for its ideal audience in a way that makes the creator like satisfied, not just to make money, but like, I enjoy what I'm doing. And part of this is like my soul being presented to the audience right now. Um, I think there's always going to be a place for that. And it's always going to grow and evolve. So absolutely, we need to be changing with that. I, I, I think so. And you touched on this a little bit. As a professor, what are what are some of the things you do to kind of stay on top of things, improve your craft as a professor, you know, yeah. books, conferences, product demos, what? Yeah, I mean, all of those. <laughs> um, it's a lot. I mean, the good thing is, I, I mean, I, again, I consider myself so lucky because I, I'm getting paid to do my total dream job. So my hobby is this. And so I'm doing it for my job and in my spare time because what else am I going to do? I'm gonna, I I love to watch movies. I love to talk about movies. I love to hear people's opinions on movies. I love to read about books about making movies about cameras and stuff like I just, I cannot get enough. Um, And so I feel very lucky that we have things like the internet because it's like everything is there. Like it's just like, go get it. And the good thing is too, is that most of our students are pretty fluent in that as well. And every year they come in more and more savvy, having discovered a lot of these things on their own, which is great. Because again, it wasn't that long ago where it was like, well, you had the library and your uncle, you know, like it was like that kind of like how you'd learn about stuff, right? Like if you're interested in it. Um, but now it's like, no, just go get it. Like you've got a phone in your pocket. You can figure it out anything eventually. And so that's amazing. But like, yeah, it's all those things you're talking about. It's definitely conferences. It's definitely books. It's definitely lots of listening. I honestly think that's more of my job than talking to students. It's listening both to them, but also to others just to try to figure out like, what do you want? What's the best way to get there? What's the What's the best thing to, I can help you with right now? Um, so a lot of it's just getting better at listening as well. So to both the students and to just the world of filmmaking. So it's always learning, always educating yourself. 100%. Great stuff. We're going to take one more break and we'll be back to conclude this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Last of all, be sure to also follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We'll be right back.
I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with Josh Ellis. Josh, one thing we haven't talked about yet is that you use a textbook that you actually wrote. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so a few years ago, um, I kind of got this wild idea of, I don't like the book I'm using for a class. And again, I had to have kind of someone tell me it. It was It's like over and over again, like I'm just not seeing what's right in front of my face. Um, and someone's like, well, you can write your own book, Josh. And I was like, oh yeah, like I could do that. And so I started kind of kicking around some ideas of what would be important for me to put into something because basically uh, it was for a film production two class. And so, which is a class that we usually uh, start introducing the basics of lighting and the basics of like a set operation. So I couldn't really find a perfect book that kind of said exactly the way I wanted to say those things. And so it was like the lighting stuff that can be a bunch of things online. I'm going to let other professionals kind of handle that in their own way. But like, what are the things that are in the cracks that keep getting overlooked? Right. And so I kind of stumbled into this idea of basically like a survival guide handbook that I created. And so I went back and forth with a few different publishers before I kind of solidified it into what it is now. Um, but we've been using it now for about three years or two years. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with it because I, I, I knew what a lot of the things that film students kind of wanted, which is shortened to the point, right? I don't want it to seem like a textbook. And I, I tried to keep like all the chapters to like four or five pages, like get in and get out. I specifically made sure it was printed kind of on the smaller side. So you might even want to like take it to set, you know, where it's like, what did, what did they say again? Like you can pop it open and like take a look at it. Like I want you to do that, right? Like how do you slate exactly? And how does that cadence work? And why are they saying the things that they are? And so um, it was basically like all the things from like the dozens and dozens of film books that I've read over the years, the things that everyone kind of neglects to say the way I've been either seeing it observed on a professional set or things that I've just picked up over for doing this for a long time. So um, I, I feel really happy with it. Yeah. What was your process like to write that? Did you just take a month and write it? Did you chip away at it over time? So um, this is the first uh, book I've ever written, either book or a textbook. I've never written a book before. And so uh, I was lucky enough that I worked with, uh, it was a publisher called Cognella Academic Publishing. And they were like, that's not a problem. If you haven't written, written a book before, we can kind of hold your hand through this process. And I was working with my editor and she was great. And she kind of had some recommendations of like, let's just make like micro deadlines for ourselves. And so it was like, write a chapter whenever speed you want. Like, it doesn't have to be fast and it's slow. Just send me a chapter when you have it. So it kind of did that. And she's like, great, here's some notes. We did that. How long do you think you could write a second chapter? So it's kind of like, okay, did that. So that took like another month to write another chapter because I was slow. And then it was like, okay, so you're wanting to write this many chapters. So I made you a schedule. <laughs> I was like, okay. She's like, do you want to modify that? I mean, she was never like telling me what to do, but it was just like, let's try it. You know? So basically like she just gave me a series of deadlines and it's exactly what I needed. I kind of just needed that someone looking over my shoulder being like, write the next one, write the next one, write the next one. And then obviously it was like, we can always, start from scratch again, or you can scrub the whole thing, or maybe you're almost 99% happy with it, whatever it was. Um, and so we just did that through the whole process. And then there was a period where I sent it out to a bunch of colleagues of mine, uh, either professionals or other professors to kind of get their feedback on it. Um, ended up adding a few things because of that, um, because it's like, oh yeah, clearly we're missing that. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, and so it was like a round of doing that. And then we we actually tested the, in a class the, the book, uh, like a preliminary version of it. And then again, same thing 
thing, got a round of feedback from students. Yep, some more stuff that was missing. That's kind of a little extra, but doesn't need to be there. Really helpful part of the process. It was all new to me. I've never done this before, but it was really exciting. Because I think obviously it helped because I'm writing about something I'm super passionate about. If I was having to write something that I didn't care about, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't even do it. Um, and so I had a lot of energy to do it. And I'm, I'm really excited and happy where it's at now. When's the uh, second edition coming out? Oh, man. Well, it's funny because the, the it's kind of like, you know, digital cameras, right? Like it's obsolete the second it comes out. I mean, not to, not not really. It's the process parts of it are basically almost timeless, really. But like there's, you know, I'd recommended some apps. Some of those apps aren't available anymore. Like, the, you know, things like that just happens. And so I am starting a list uh, of things that would eventually make its way into a second edition. Um, probably I want to wait at least a couple years. So otherwise I'd be just putting out a new edition every year. And it's like, well, that's kind of crazy. I mean, every other college textbook seems to do that. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think I definitely want to do a revised update probably in a few years um, after I've done a little bit more of like, again, seeing how classes react to it, getting other feedback from other people. Because again, I've had even a few people reach out to me that even maybe are in taking a film class. And like, I someone recommended this to me or bought it for me and, and actually helped me on a movie set. Thank you. But then I'm like, great. What what was missing? Like, what can, what can I add into it? And I don't want to necessarily make it really long. I just want to make sure that I'm kind of covering the essentials that you could honestly, if you wanted to plow through this book in an afternoon, you probably could. I, that's kind of the intention of it. But it's also, it's, it's a survival guide because you can just crack it open to the chapter I'm talking about, spend two minutes refreshing yourself, and then you can go about your business. So, If there are other, are there other professors or educators that want to get in touch with you, learn about your book, even bring it uh, into their classrooms. Can they reach out to you about that? Please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If, are you going to be sharing like my contact information on the website or something? Or how, how do you want to do that? Or We can. We'll, we'll put it in the uh, the episode summary. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So please uh, feel free to reach me using that information. I, I love helping people, whether it's about the teaching of filmmaking or filmmaking itself. I'm more than happy to have that conversation. So you've, you've worked in the industry, you're a professor, you've written a book. So anything you haven't done yet that you want to do? Anything I haven't done yet? I mean, it's funny because if you had asked me that question 10, 15 years ago before I was teaching, I'd be like, work on more movies? Like, I mean, like that was kind of it, right? And so at this point, I kind of, since this is kind of my second, you know, discovery of what I really want to do with my life, um, I mean, I have the same answers. Keep teaching people how to make movies. I mean, like, not necessarily. Um, obviously, I enjoy, like, you know, I enjoy traveling and I enjoy being with my kids and my family, like those kinds of things. But I wouldn't say there's necessarily like this big, like, bucket list thing that I'm trying to do. Like, again, I'm not like, I am not a producer, writer, director. So it's not like I have this movie that I've been sitting on that I want to make or whatever. That's not really what I do. My job has always been to service and help those people with their visions with my experience of working with camera and lighting. And so I like to support people with theirs. So again, maybe we have this conversation again and that's a different answer. But uh, as of right now, I'm so satisfied where I am. Yeah. we. I think we all miss our past days, but do you miss the excitement, the energy of just being on a set? Every day. I mean, but again, I do get to get that a lot, which again is why I'm kind of in love with my job now, because basically almost every day is some sort of a set environment, whether it's just pre-production meeting or if it's physically being on a set, but absolutely. I mean, it's funny because a bunch of students have asked me recently to like, can you help us train on like how to load film into magazines? Because we don't really do that anymore. And that's not really something that's easy to get knowledge on. It's like, absolutely. And then I remember thinking like, and I just want to smell the when you open a magazine and the waft comes up of film was just in there. I miss those things. Absolutely. So I, I do miss getting up at 5 a.m. and having 
a breakfast burrito and coffee and chatting with the best boy electric about what we did yesterday and what like I, I absolutely do. Um, it's it's definitely a, a part of me um, and I'm not willing to let go of it for sure. Do you have a favorite memory from set or movie you worked on? A favorite memory? I got a lot of weird stories. Let me ask it again. Do you have a favorite memory from a set or movie that you can talk about? That, that's a good way to say it too. <laughs> favorite memory... I mean, I'm trying to think of one that maybe I share a lot with people. I know I've looked at your IMDb and I've said, you worked with this guy from... The big one for me was you worked with Mickey from Seinfeld. That's true. Yeah. Blue Demon. <laughs> Every, everyone has to cut their teeth on a shark movie, right? Everyone's got to work on a shark movie at some point. I don't know, but I mean, I'm trying to think of a favorite memory. I mean, I have lots of stressful memories. I think those kind of stick better, right? Because it's like, ah, I'm doing this right now. Like, I remember there was a day where I was a second AC, which uh, I mean, I kind of think of as a less stressful version of... Because the first AC is you're doing focus, right? So you're really, you're, you can basically destroy a shot in an instant if you buzz it. And so I was second seeing on a feature, I think it was called Edmund with William H. Macy was the lead on it. And it was a fun show and it was on film. Um, 35 mil. And uh, the first AC, for some reason, one evening got bumped up to operator. So what happens then is everyone kind of bumps up. So then now I'm firsting. And it was kind of like, I didn't know it was going to happen. So it's kind of like, and now you're doing this. I was like, okay, well, I've, you know, I've pulled focus before and whatever. And so, of course, it's like the craziest shot ever. You know, it's like one of those, it's one of those stories where it's like, okay, we're going to shoot it now. Like rehearsal? No, no time for that. We're going to go. William H. Macy's like in the zone. We're going to shoot it this second. Um, I turn and look. And because now I'm kind of like a little bit in shock and it's like, what lens is on? Oh, it's a 200 mil. Like it's like, okay, great. So that's like the longest lens we got, which means it's pulling focus on that's going to be very difficult. This is film. So rudimentary like devices to help you with focus. It's more of like a tape measure and your soul. And so what's the shot going to be? Oh, well, he's going to like walk directly at camera. And so he's going to come around a corner and we're just going to do it. Ready? Okay, let's roll camera guys. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like I'm doing this. I can't say no because I want to be here. Right. But I am sweating buckets. So we do the shot. And of course, it's one of those shots because it's like such a focus intensity shot. Then they call cut and literally everyone that knows what it means looks to me and is like, do we get it? And I have like this, you know, a second becomes a century in my head and I'm like, did we get it? Was that all the way in focus? And so then, you know, I tried to like calm myself down and said, I think I got it. I wouldn't be opposed to if you wanted to go again. And, uh, we went a couple more times. It ended up being fine. That was a stressful beginning to that evening. And so, but again, those are the moments that you love too, you know, because that's the whole purpose of kind of being there. Like the unexpected part of it is kind of the magic of it because you don't know what's going to happen. The more you prep you do, it's setting you up for this problem solving the randomness of it anyways. And so, but honestly, like an event like that gave me confidence then in newer jobs to be like, not can pull focus, like I'm good, you know. So like if they threw me on steady cam on some weird shot with no ability to put marks, I'm like, let's go. Like I can do that. You know, it's like you have to kind of build your confidence somewhere. But that moment definitely I remember every second of that moment. That was pretty wild. So what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about getting into teaching film one day? Um, I mean, you've got to get something out of it because for me, I feel like I get as excited as the students do when they have like a moment of clarity or like they, you can see like them understand something for the first time and like, or really understand why they're making this story in the first place or whatever it is, whatever they're like little micro epiphanies that they're having are. And so I feel like I get as much out of it as they do. And it's just like to be around that energy of it, like really feeds me. And so 
I feel like that's part of it. It can't just be like, well, I know this information. I will give it to somebody. It's like, okay. But I feel like that probably wouldn't be the most engaging class. That would be more of like, sit down, shut up and listen to me. And I hate those classes. And so I want to make it more of an environment of like, let's have a conversation. Um, I've got some new ideas that maybe you guys haven't been exposed to before, but I'm also willing to hear your thoughts on it. And so let's kind of make it a back and forth. And I kind of try to make it like this, like a discussion um, as much as possible, because um, sometimes we go in interesting places because maybe what they're trying to get out of today's class is not necessarily what I intended. But as long as I know that I can get us there somehow, um, I'm totally fine with like taking uh, side roads where they want to kind of learn more about. So uh, that's kind of what I, I got from it is you need to get as much out of it as they are. And there's definitely filmmaking. I mean, there's so much gear, equipment, things that you use. So you're first learning just how to use it, learning how to like employ it properly, right. and then learning how to piece it all together, learning how to use a camera with lighting, with, right. with all those things. I mean, it's The funny thing is, I mean, the technical honestly is the easy part. It's just like once you figure out how to do whatever that technical thing is, then you're like, oh, well, now I know that. Like now it's like muscle memory. Now we got to do the hard part. Now we got to create something that someone's going to care about. How do we create an emotion with that Fresnel light? You know, it's like, yeah, you have power to it. Yeah, you put it up. Yeah, you focused it. Yeah, you got it all going. But why does it matter? You know, and so the technical is something you absolutely need to have a firm grasp on. But honestly, that's the simple part. The other part is where we spend the majority of our time being like, well, why does this matter? Kind of piggybacking a little bit on, you know, if there's anything you haven't done yet that you want to do. Do you have a picture or an idea of what your future looks like besides just keeping doing what you're doing? I mean, that's a good question too. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I definitely, I'm, I'm just at such a, like a perfect place right now because especially like, and I have kids, now they're growing up, but they're still kids. Like they still live with us and stuff. And so like, I want to kind of hang on to that moment for as long as possible because of, I know at some point they're going to be adults and it's going to be different and it's going to move on or whatever it is. So like kind of staying in the zone right now and being part of like, I'm in total like family mode. Um, so that easily could evolve, right? And so I think that by the time they've kind of moved on, maybe then there's a, a, a way that my career or life also kind of naturally shifts as well. But I'm trying to kind of pay attention to that because I don't want them to go along for a ride with me. I kind of want to go on a ride together. Um, but if they want to get off at any point, again, as they get older, then absolutely. You do your thing, you know? So Have they started running around with iPhones, making little movies? Um, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, they're getting old enough where like that's becoming to the point of like, that's kind of the age that I started doing stuff like that. They almost actively fight it a little bit. <laughs> it's like, I'll get questions like, what do you teach again? Like, I know you teach or whatever, like, like that kind of thing. And um, it'll be interesting to see like in the next year or two of like, do they have any interest? I mean, my my son for a little bit definitely did like, he was doing some like stop motion animation kind of stuff. And I mean, we were just kind of more like feeding it. I wasn't like being like, and now do this. Like it was more, more of like, what do you need? Like what support do you need? And so he kind of naturally got into a, a period of, of doing that kind of stuff. And that was obviously really magical to watch because I'm very interested in those kinds of things. Um, and it's hard not to just take over. It's hard to just like observe, but not really. I mean, at this point, I don't see them like tomorrow becoming a filmmaker, but I could be completely wrong, right? Because um, I think especially as they transition, to the, you know, they're 11 and 13, they're young. So as they kind of get into their teens and the later teens, listen, come to a class, you know, like you want to sit in on this stuff? Like this is what I do all day and you see how much I love it, guys. Um, and so maybe that does kind of tickle their fancy a little bit. I don't know. So. 
we'll see. Maybe. Just such an interesting journey. Just such a interesting life. You've uh, done a lot of things that people people do dream about. You know, you you worked on set. Oh, you you knew William H Macy. You got to work with him among that. And and I think the other thing that I think people can aspire to is is you saying you're you're very happy. You know, with where you are, work life balance that not everybody gets to. So uh, it's really inspiring to it. I always enjoy listening to it. I appreciate you having having you on the show today. Uh, you are welcome to come back anytime. We could follow up and see when you're working on the next edition or your next book or you're implementing something new into your curriculum. There'll always be stuff to talk about. Sounds great. Thanks, Howie. Great. Thanks again. Best of luck. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This is has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.